Welcome to another edition of the College Faith Podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. This is Stan Wallace, your host, and this is the second podcast in a series I'm doing on campus ministries. I'm interviewing a leader from each of the major campus ministries, asking them the same questions so that you can have an apples-to-apples comparison of their different missions, emphases, distinctives, approaches, and cultures. In this episode, I interview a leader of Cruz Campus Ministry. He's the first guest I've had on the podcast twice. You first met Roger Hershey when we discussed his book, Finishers, on episode 13. As perhaps the longest-serving crew staff member in Cruz Campus Ministry, now in his 50th year, I can think of no one better to help us understand Cruz Ministry to students. Furthermore, Roger is the staff worker who ministered to me during my college years, as well as before and after. You see, before moving into college ministry, he directed Cruz High School Ministry in Cincinnati, Ohio, which God used to bring me to faith in Christ back in 1980. Then, Roger discipled me during my university years at Miami University in the early 80s. And finally, from 1989 to 92, I had the privilege of serving on Roger's staff team. And I learned much about leadership from him during those years. I have actually summarized some of what I learned in my article on leadership linked to in the show notes. Even though we haven't worked together now for many years, I still count him as a dear friend and mentor. So, Roger, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stan. Great to be with you. As, as you know from our earlier conversation, one of the aims of this podcast is to help students and their parents have the information they need to flourish during their college years. And as many of my previous guests have emphasized, and you being one, it's very important for Christian students to get involved in a campus ministry during their college years. But there's so many to choose from. Some campuses have 20 or 30 different ministries on them. So right. I'm doing a series on, on campus ministries so students and their parents have some sense of the distinctives and the emphases of the different groups and what they can expect if they get involved with this group or that. And so uh, this week we're discussing crew and you've now served with crew for 50 years in the campus ministry. So I can, I can think of no one better to help our listeners understand how crew helps students as they're on campus than you. Okay. So uh, what I want to do is to ask you, uh, as I'm asking those of the other ministries the same questions so students and their parents can kind of have an apples-to-apples comparison of the different groups, all right? Sure, yes. Great. First, tell us how Crew got started. Dr. Bill Bright, who was a rancher uh, in Oklahoma, who ended up uh, after college starting a candy business, got a vision. God gave him a vision. I don't, I don't know how in what spectacular way he experienced it, but clearly a vision that he would say from the Lord to start a ministry to college students. And it was the perspective of reach the campus today, the world tomorrow. Uh, but even if we do just that, if we go after students on campuses here, uh, we'll have them sent out all over the world to help reach the world. Yes. And that's how Dr. Bright started. He started at UCLA. And his first place of emphasis was to fraternities, sororities, and athletic teams in the very first year. And they saw a tremendous, in this 1951, tremendous response uh, at that time from students in those different groups of people. That's a, that's a great, great history to give us the, the big picture. So what is Crew's mission? Why does it exist? 
we've always said that our desire is to help fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, again, starting with students, equip students to, to build movements. Really, the way we talk about it most today is we want to build movements everywhere, and that is movements of evangelism and discipleship. Define a movement. That's a, maybe a new term to some of our listeners. Yeah, we would say a movement is where a group of men and women have locked arms together under the same mission and same purpose. Okay. And so they're in it together with some common distinctives of how we do certain things to accomplish the mission. But it's a movement of people together going after the aim. And the aim in our case was, how do we help fulfill the Great Commission along with the rest of the body of Christ? So what is crew's strategy to accomplish that mission? Sure. Well, the, the terminology we've used ever since 1951, believe it or not, is wind, build, send. Okay. And that has not changed. Uh, win students to Christ, them in their faith, send them out uh, to do the same with others. And that's always been a strategy. You know, of course, then other ministries started. High school ministry, military ministry, and athletes in action ministry to athletes. Mm-hmm. So for those listening to this, your student, if they're an athlete, could have the opportunity to be a part of an athletic ministry on the campus uh, they go to. But the strategy has always been win, build, and send. So how does crew live that mission out on campus? Well, um, every year on campus, of course, the realization is that uh, to build a growing movement, first and foremost, our, our efforts are really aimed at the freshman class. Uh, we get off the ground by all kinds of different ways of reaching out to freshmen, including simple spiritual interest questionnaires at an orientation table or every university is different how you can do it. Sure. The perspective is from right at the beginning of the year, new freshmen are walking in and they're going to make a decision. What community will I be a part of? Who will become my best friends? And so we want to be there right away in the first six weeks, meeting as many freshmen as we can uh, to let them know we are there. Now, the goal is to reach freshmen who don't know the Lord yet. But of course, in the first week, six weeks to find those Christian kids who are coming in and are going to make a decision, you know, who am I going to identify with? Mm-hmm. So to do that, we do all kinds of outreach things, which results in small interactive Bible studies where freshmen can meet, connect with each other, build relationships. Community is the key. But to start to help them begin to grow in their walk so that they don't get swamped by the world's value system in their first six weeks on campus. Mm. So we want to provide that community right away. So we get the small groups going. Of course, every campus will have a large group meeting weekly. Uh, And then throughout the year, then we'll have fall retreats. Every campus will have a fall weekend getaway at a retreat site which tends to be that place where students really uh, make their decisions. Am I going to identify with this body of believers on campus? Is this where I'm going to, you know, put my roots down? Many students will come to fall retreat and there really make some significant decisions about, am I going to follow Christ or not? So we do all those kind of things. So up through the course of the year, of course, our distinctives are uh, the small groups, the community groups, discipleship groups, Uh, But the focus is not just fellowship or just Bible study. The focus very much in our groups is discipleship and training and equipping. And so in our small groups, uh, a lot of training happens in how to share your faith, uh, how to move into other students' lives, how to relate to other non-believers in my dorm, fraternity, athletic team. Uh, How do I have spiritual conversations? And then eventually discipleship, how do I equip students 
that they can lead Bible studies of their own. Now, most freshmen aren't doing that first semester, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most students need a little bit of time. But eventually, by sophomore, junior year, we want to equip students. They can, uh, we use the term spiritual multiplication. That students have been equipped their first and second year to the end that they can turn around and lead a small group and they can begin to disciple other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So those are some of our distinctives. Now, obviously, we use conferences. We use mission trips. We have spring break trips where students can go all over the place to experience firsthand missions. Um, and then in, in the summers, we have summer missions where they can go. We have as many as 50 locations in the summer, uh, overseas and in the States, which is a leadership development summer mission and an exposure to uh, the needs in the world where students grow in their ability to uh, have a ministry in people's lives. Mm. So that's some of how it all plays out throughout the year. Great. So does crew have a statement of faith that is required to be subscribed to? Yes. It can be found on our website, um, crew.org. And every staff member, of course, is required to sign that statement of faith. Okay. And it's going to be your statement of faith that's common to probably any of the Christian groups you're interviewing. This The essentials, essential doctrines of the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, every staff member signs that. You know, students aren't necessarily signing that when they first become part of ministry. Uh, they're just getting involved and growing in their walk with Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, as they're involved with us over time, it becomes clear, biblically, distinctively, where we are and where we're not. Got it. Okay. And you say it's pretty similar to other groups, but on that continuum within evangelicalism, would it lean more toward the conservative or progressive end of that spectrum? Well, it would lean more toward the conservative for sure. And it would it would be, uh, we've always said we have tried to be neutral on different topics. Mm-hmm. So um, we would not uh, emphasize some of the things that some of our charismatic brothers and sisters would emphasize, uh, not in a negative way to uh, diminish their calling and the way they live out their, their walks with Christ, but just as a movement that's committed to evangelism and discipleship, spiritual multiplication. Um, We try to stay neutral on certain topics so that we can offer our distinctives to people of a charismatic persuasion, non-charismatic persuasion, Uh, you know, different views on the role of women, for example, will be held in different ministries. And we try to maintain some neutrality there so that people who have different views can benefit from our emphasis on evangelism and discipleship. Do you mean the theological issue of the role of women as pastors or more broadly, the role of women in a student ministry, for instance? You know, on the scale of a complementarian, egalitarian, right? Okay, broad scale here. And for our listeners, the complementarian understands the roles of men and women in church leadership, at least, as not the same, but complementary to one another. And the egalitarian sees them as identical, so that on a complementarian view, women don't serve actually as pastors or often elders, but on an egalitarian view, they do, just for our listeners to get sort of the, the, the definitions down. Yes. We try to be uh, allow room for people to, to land differently on that scale in terms of our individual staff members. But we are not complementarian to the degree that we say women don't get up and speak. We have women speak uh, at our conferences. We value women. Women share leadership roles in our ministry. Women are not excluded, really not excluded from almost any role in crew. 
so it, it so it plays more out in different staffs' views in their local congregations, not in the way Crew does its ministry on campus. So what you're saying, right? That would that would be a good way to say it. Probably got yes, it. Got be, it. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about regional differences. Sure. I know some ministries are. It's like McDonald's. You know what you're getting when you walk in the door. And other ministries are <laughs> yeah. so committed to the local context that that they could look wildly different one campus to the next one region to the next where is crew on that in terms of 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 how they see ministry and what how much is the same across campuses across regions yes i think in our ministry you're going to find uh our distinctives are so strongly held okay of wind build send one-on-one discipleship, small groups, our commitment to the spiritual life, to training. You're going to find our ministries are very similar no matter where you show up in the country, Mm. Uh, because there's that commitment. We are committed to one-on-one discipleship, to small groups. Uh, We are committed to training students to have a personal ministry, as opposed to the staff do it all and students just show up. Okay. Now, I'm not sure, I don't know, any campus ministry is committed to that, but we are not. We want our students to be the ones that are on mission. Now, when you get to certain parts of the country, I think there will be uniquenesses in how they reach out and are involved in evangelism based on what that region requires in terms of the type of students. The different evangelistic strategies may change. Okay. But when you walk on campus anywhere in the country, our commitment to evangelism is the same and discipleship. Got it. That's a really helpful distinction. And I will say that the emphasis on leadership development was something I experienced and uh, was a great blessing to me to be able to step into opportunities to lead that were afforded me by my involvement with crew that I wouldn't have had otherwise and really helped me develop in those ways. So I have a great respect and appreciation for that emphasis. (laughs) Yes. Who, Who are some of the heroes of the faith that, that crew would hold up to students and why are they talked about often and, and held up as role models? Well, again, being interdenomination, you're going to have a, a broad variety of folks, but because uh, there's going to be those who are, are more reformed than others who mm-hmm. love John Calvin and his institutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but not all, not all are, are that strongly reformed. It's interesting in our history um, in the seventies and eighties, we were, uh, I'd say very aligned with, for example, Dallas theological seminary. And we would have had men like Howie Hendricks, highly esteemed and spoke to us often, and uh, uh, Norm Geisler, people like that. Of course, you know, you had your heroes like Josh McDowell, who in his all his uh, apologetics work, so valuable in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And I would have said he would have been some. Now, of course, C.S. Lewis uh, would be one that... Uh, would be spoken of, talked about. Students would re- have read him. Um, we use his books. We use McDowell. We use C.S. Lewis. I think today, however, I mean, you have, because of, the, you know, there's evidential apologetics, cultural apologetics, as you know. Uh, I would say there is a, a great value of men like William Lane Craig, J.P. Moreland, who have written so uh, widely on so many topics. I would think these men are held up. Uh, to our students. Of course, a lot of this can depend on each local campus and mm-hmm. uh, the proclivity of a certain staff member and what he reads right, right. and what he's going to put in the hands of his 
students. Uh, you're going to have more than a carpenter being read quite a bit, but for more thoughtful folks, you're going to have JP and William Lane Craig, um, Ralph Winters, who brought the emphasis on the unreached people groups, mm-hmm. hidden people groups, uh, U.S. Center for World Missions. Uh, you had men like Crawford Loritz, who spoke to us as an African-American leader, uh, and James White. You know, these days you got Piper, uh, Tim Keller, Francis Chan. Uh, we use them at our conferences. Uh, certainly one of the heroes for me, and I continue to talk about him, is Dr. Robert Coleman of the Master Plan of Evangelism fame. Uh, his whole philosophy of how Jesus discipled the 12th, mm-hmm. how Jesus uh, established the work of the kingdom, how he took the 12 and invested in them. And I would say that book, across the board, is maybe one of the most influential for our staff. It shapes how and why we do what we do on campus. Mm-hmm. So you got a lot of people like that uh, who have been heroes and continue to be. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's one man these, these days. Got it. That's really helpful. That just paints the picture a little bit of some of the folks that uh, would be valued and students would run into during their time with crew. It's really helpful. Well, you got men too. I'll mention like Paul Tripp and Henry Cloud. Uh, these are men who are well-spoken and highly regarded in the area of emotional growth and emotional health. And in a culture with mental illness being what it is and high stress and anxiety for students, uh, those men have a, a significant hearing with our staff and students. Mm. So, Roger, uh, several guests have offered a threefold taxonomy of what Christian students need in order to flourish in their faith during their college years. Uh, I think it came up when we talked last as well. Yes. One is spiritual growth, you know, developing a deeper intimacy with God. Secondly, as an intellectual development as students, uh, learning to love God more with their minds. Yep. And third is a ministry activism or a missional engagement, be, being involved in God's redemptive mission. Yes. Uh, would, would crew frame it that way, agree with that, offer other or additional elements uh, oh, I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Whether we would always use those same terminology. Right. Uh, you know, we're talking about win, build, send. Okay. Uh, I talk about uh, helping students walk by faith, communicate their faith, and multiply their faith. So different terminology, but certainly agree with it. That's where our commitment to one-on-one discipleship uh, and small groups, especially, where we're diving into students' lives to talk about how do you develop your walk with Christ? Okay. Uh, getting into the word, studying the word, having, having a quiet time. You know, of course, it's reinforced at every conference and every retreat. Um, you know, the development intellectually, I mean, that for staff is a good thing. It starts with our commitment to our own staff's development. Every staff member goes through core training for two years. And after every staff member is required to go to Institute of Biblical Studies for ongoing theological development. And many will go on to earn their degrees at different seminaries and so forth. And again, that's going to vary according to campus. Um, you know, when we had men like you, for example, at Miami, with the convictions about worldview and philosophy and apologetics, you know, every staff team's different. So where you have those men where that's really their passion, then they make that even more of an emphasis mm-hmm. uh, to train, identify students like you did with Mike Erie and Paul Gould and so many others. So there's a commitment to that. And then certainly ministry activism. Mm -hmm. 
you know, now, and the balance of all three, of course, is again, dependent on the local leader and where he is in terms of his strengths in, in all three of those. And some are going to be stronger than one than the other. Mm-hmm. And, and it'll be reflected in the ministry, but there's certainly a commitment to all three. So where do you think crew is strongest out of the three? Um, I'd say, let's see, strongest. I know it's a hard question because you want to be, and I know in some ways you're strong in all three. You but, want to be. Uh, if, right. you had, if you had to pick. If I had to pick, I would say probably ministry activism, I might say. Mm-hmm. Bill Bright, in this, when we started this ministry, he, he was committed to training. His observation was for people to be on mission, they got to have the want to and the how to. Mm. And that you could have a lot of Christians that may have the want to. They really care about reaching lost friends and neighbors, but they don't know how to do it. So from the beginning, uh, Bill built this ministry on training, practical training in personal ministry. Everything from how do we teach the spirit-filled life? You know, many people have taught about the Holy Spirit for decades, for centuries. And Bill's seeming strength was, how do I put the cookies on the lower shelf, if you will? in terms of how am I filled with the Holy Spirit, moment by moment, day by day, spiritual breathing, concepts like that. And he's done that with every area, how to share the gospel. You know, our staff were first trained how to explain the gospel on a napkin, where they drew out diagrams to explain to someone how to. And then, of course, our materials, that concept was put in a form of a booklet, the four spiritual laws, which is now called Knowing God Personally. You got the idea. Mm -hmm. So I would say ministry activism Training, equipping, because the goal is for students to be the ones having the ministry on campus, the personal ministry. So I would say the strongest is ministry activism, but I would say right behind that is their spirit, their walk with the Lord, because everything's built on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the want to, to walk with Jesus, experiencing Christ, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you, if you don't walk with him, that undermines your desire to have a ministry in anybody's life. So Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So suggest ways the students can take advantage of that strength that crew has. Sure. On their campus, pursue the staff member as you get there and you get involved. You know, obviously the, you know, the first way in for most students is to show up to a Bible study or show up to a weekly meeting mm-hmm. where you're meeting people, you become part of the community. But for the student who really wants that, what I just talked about, go to the staff member or one of the student leaders. Now, it depends on the size of the group. If there's a couple hundred involved versus 20, um, go to a student leader and go to a staff and say, look, I, I want to be discipled. I want to be equipped uh, and trained in personal ministry. Uh, I want more than just nice fellowship. And, uh, you know, sometimes discipleship can uh, slip into, I meet at Starbucks and we have fellowship. We talk about lust, uh, talk about my girlfriend, and that's it. And for a student to say, I want more than that, uh, mm-hmm. I want you to build into my life so I know how to engage the guys on my dorm floor in a meaningful way with the gospel and pursue getting that kind of training. Now, the other thing is there's all kinds of opportunities will be made available, hopefully on campuses where they hear about a training seminar being offered in evangelism, a training seminar in discipleship, a fall retreat. Um, at our winter conferences, we always have different training seminars that go on. Uh, one of the things that's unique about us is every conference we have, it's not just great worship and good teachers. It is equipping seminars that are held. And then there's the day of outreach. 
And so for many students, uh, maybe the first time they ever go out and attempt to share their faith is on an afternoon of outreach. And and the vision is we're not going to just talk about reaching the lost. We're going to go do it. And you get a taste of what it means to step out in faith, trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to work through you. And go with somebody who's done it before so you can learn by their example. Okay, I see. Let's talk about weaknesses. By identifying activism as the real strength, which I think is certainly true, and spiritual growth as uh, a close second, it implies that the weakness probably uh, out of the three would be intellectual development. Uh, And, you know, is that fair? Well, yeah, as I... As I thought about this question ahead of time, I said, wait, do I want to call that a weakness? I know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to call it a weakness. Uh, But if I have to rank them. (laughs) Sure, sure. I would say, if I had to rank them, I would say, when a student comes to become part of our movement, they're probably going to experience the the first and the third more often, more consistently than, say, a focus. We're going to have a seminar where we plow through William Lane Craig's book. Okay. Now, that kind of thing happens the individual staff member, the books they get kids reading. But on the whole, as a ministry, if, they're, if we're going to have seminars to train them, they're, they're probably not, they're going to get the other things more, a little more than necessarily the, uh, the heavier philosophy or apologetics. Yeah. Uh, and that certainly was my experience. Uh, I, I, I sure. in fact, know one staff who told his students, this was not at Miami <laughs> under okay. your watch, or I'm sure else uh, other times, but uh, you know, who t- told his students study as little as possible. So you can have as much time as possible for ministry. And, oh. and uh, you know, that was pretty uh, hard for that student to hear. Yes. Uh, and, and maybe that that's changing. Maybe that was, this was a number of years ago. Uh, I think so, so you think things are changing in that way? Yes, I do think so. I do think the broader picture is in the 70s and 80s, when uh, I would say a dispensational view of eschatology, which means how do we understand the end times? Eschatology is just the doctrine of the study of the end times. And how do we understand, uh, or how do we even think about the return of Christ mm-hmm. and what's going to be happening in the world? Well, at that time, uh, the strength of that eschatology was that Jesus is coming soon, that there are signs going on in the world that indicate, you know, Israel's become a nation again. Uh, Things that are happening in the Middle East indicate the return of Christ is soon. Now, that was healthy in terms of producing an urgency of let's get the gospel out. Where it became unhealthy was when uh, people would say things like you just said, well, if Jesus is coming soon, then there isn't time uh, to do all kinds of extensive study and, and develop my mind and to get a PhD and influence the culture. It's uh, let's just get the gospel out, get people ready for Christ to come to get into the, into heaven. And let's not worry about suffering or human problems, or let's not worry about healthy change in our culture. Mm. And therefore you don't need to study. You don't need to develop your mind more or get degrees. Follow, follow me. Got it. That has changed in, I think, uh, there's less talk about the second coming of Christ, which has hurt us, I think, in that there's less sense of urgency to get the gospel out hmm. and more talk about how do we make the world better right now. So the expression, the kingdom is already here and not yet. Um, and that was said in terms of 
we are looking forward to the kingdom that is coming when Christ returns. Mm-hmm. I think now there's more of an emphasis. The kingdom is already here and not yet, but we should be about bringing about the kingdom. And there's a great theological debate about that. Mm-hmm. You know, how much are we, the church, going to bring about the kingdom? You know, we went through a period in the 50s for listeners where a post-millennial view was pretty popular, which said uh, the church will establish the kingdom, bring the world to a utopia almost, if you will, mm-hmm. and that will usher in the return of Christ. And if you if you buy that kind of eschatological view, then your focus becomes all about how do we make the world better because that's our job as the church so that Christ will then come. Mm-hmm which is to say, do I ever really believe the United Nations is going to bring peace to the world? My answer is no. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> or any other thing. Right. Okay. So to answer your original statement, bro, I think the difference now is I think we are more healthy, more balanced, in that we are saying, no, we do need to study. We do need to develop our minds. Uh, we don't know exactly when the Lord's coming. We do need to engage in culture and make a difference. Therefore, Uh, Use the gifts God's given us to study, to prepare, so we can speak into the culture, have an influence in academia, which is what you're all about, uh, while still at the same time believing that we need to be, we need to be living as if Christ could come tomorrow. Got it. And living with those two intentions is is what becomes difficult. Okay, good. So knowing this is out of the three areas, the, 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 the weakest of the three, how would students compensate for that? They decide they're going to get involved with crew, but they realize, hey, I might need to do some other things to sure. develop my intellectual life and loving God with my mind. How would they go about doing that in a crew movement? Yeah, right. Well, I'd say for one, as they're involved in discipleship, a good disciple is going to talk through strengths, gifts, what do you want to develop in? And um, if they have the awareness of that, the student himself, for them to say to their disciple, hey, I, I want to learn. I have questions. I need to grow. Uh, can we work through a book together okay. on, a, on a certain topic? Last uh, semester, a year ago, one of the men I discipled, a butler, we worked through Norman Geisler. I think it's Norman Geisler's book. Uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Hmm. You recall that one, Stan? Oh, yeah. And we took, every week, we took a different chapter. Okay. And we he read it ahead of time, and we processed everything from inerrancy of scripture to how to, how did this transmission of scripture happen? Why can we trust it? So I'd say one hand students letting their disciple know, Hey, I, I want to grow in this area. I want to be able to answer the questions that are being most often asked today, which of course, and in this generation, the questions of the problem of evil and suffering and how do we understand human sexuality and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. critical race theory. And so that, and, and, and obviously with it, the student can choose to read the kind of books that are going to continue to develop his mind. And then thirdly, that student ought to take advantage of those seminars that are offered podcasts, get on podcasts of leading thinkers today uh, that are speaking to the current issues that we do our mind with, as well as the books that he can read. Great. But especially letting your disciple know, Hey, I am especially wired this way. I mean, here's the reality. There are some students who are just not wired to think at a deeper level. Now they should be, we want them to be, but they aren't and they need to grow in it. Uh, But then for those who are, boy, we need to fuel the flame. We will return to the show in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor. 
If you are like most of our listeners, you are concerned about the ideas being promoted in our universities today. We too often hear about what is false and even harmful being promoted as true. Christian professors are called to stand up for what is true, good, and just, and teach their students to do the same. Help equip Christian professors to do so at www.global-scholars.org. Please also check out the other podcast Stan and Dr. J.P. Moreland do together, Thinking Christianly. Whereas this College Faith podcast focuses more on the practical questions of thriving during the college years, the Thinking Christianly podcast is all about the ideas that shape the university, students, our broader culture, and the world. Visit thinkingchristianly.org or download episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And now back to College Faith. All right. So uh, assuming that there is, uh, for every student, uh, at least a baseline of understanding they should have about the core doctrines, yes. uh, deity of Christ, uh, the nature of Christ's sacrifice for us and salvation, so on and so forth. Does crew have a set curriculum that students would go through in their small groups or other contexts that would cover those issues to give them a, a sort of a foundation theologically and in terms of worldview, or does that happen more case by case in light of what their small group is going through per the leader's choice? Yeah, sure. Well, certainly there's, there's content we try to take all new folks through on just walking with Christ, uh, being assured of my salvation, understanding forgiveness, dealing with my sin, uh, being filled with the spirit, having a quiet time, sexual purity, which is, you know, right. those kind of basics. Uh, there's that curriculum we go through, want to go through with every believer, not assuming, no matter what kind of church, they necessarily understand those things. But then there's things, I think you're talking about things that go deeper than that, uh, that are more. I'm, I'm not saying deeper, but more broadly, sort of a, you know, ba- a baseline understanding of theology, worldview, apologetics, those kind of things. Right. Yeah, I think that ha- that is going to happen, not in your initial preliminary, I'm just getting involved with crew. Okay. That's going to happen later through other small groups, again, through your disciple, through the books that you read, uh, through things that are taught. Got it. Okay, good. That's helpful. In terms of the spiritual growth component, how, how does crew help students develop lifelong habits to, uh, to love Christ no matter where they are in their in, in seasons of life. So that when they graduate and they're not in the movement that they're yes. a part of where it's uh, maybe easy to grow because you're surrounded by so many other believers who are in your same life stage and they get out and they get into the working world and they start to have challenges that are different. How does crew help students prepare and develop the kind of habits they'll need to be lifelong followers of Christ. I, th- I think, Stan, uh, the spiritual disciplines, when, when discipleship is carried out the way we want it to be, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that discipler, you know, I use the, I use the motif of, uh, of a walk, communicate, and multiply, right? Mm-hmm. And so I want to see this student develop convictions about uh, getting into the scriptures, about having a quiet time. Uh, I want to know that he's getting the scriptures, not just because, well, that's what we do in crew, uh, that it becomes a lifestyle, becomes a habit. Sure. Okay. To read my Bible consistently, 
to start to study the scriptures. And so therefore, in our training times, uh, training seminars at our Christmas conferences, we may have a whole couple seminars on how to study the Bible. So it's with a view toward, yeah, there are these disciplines that you need to develop and habits and a lifestyle, which, you know, habit takes time. I, I got into college. I had never had a quiet time my whole life. I had no idea what a quiet time was because of the background I grew up in. For our listeners, what, what is a quiet time? Uh, okay, good. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, quiet time is often what we used to talk about, trying to spend a time where I'm reading my Bible, I'm talking to Jesus, I'm, t- I'm connecting with him. Now, it doesn't. it's not necessarily just a certain way I do it. I sit at this point in time and I have it this way. It can, I can experience quiet time all kinds of ways. But it's the idea where I'm I develop in a habit where I want to, I want the scriptures to inform my thinking mm. consistently. Mm-hmm. And I want to take time each day where possible to talk to the Lord about my day, to cast all my cares about to him, to acknowledge who he is, to adore and to worship him. So it's time, I, I like to put it, it's my time to connect with the Lord. Mm, undistracted time to connect with the Lord. Some people call it personal devotions. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. the idea. So I want to help a student develop a lifestyle of that. Uh, But boy, that takes time. I want to say it takes years before it becomes a habit. You know, if a freshman comes in and he's never had any kind of habit like that, I mean, we're talking all the way through college for him to learn, to get to the point where it's a high value. It's kind of like, do I brush my teeth every day? Yeah. Do I take a shower almost every day? Yep. Do I eat every day? Yep. Do I have a spiritual food every day? Well, it depends on the day. You know, depends on how much studying I got to do that day. So I want to help that student develop a conviction that I need spiritual food every day like I need physical food. So I'm developing a habit. I want to help them develop a habit and a Bible study habit. Uh, And I think the other habits are in campus ministry is helping that person become part of a local church. So that when he graduates, he knows, hey, it's not just me and my walk with Jesus. It's my walk with Jesus in the context of a body of believers who, who speak into my life, who hold me accountable, uh, sitting under the teaching of God's word consistently. So I know our goal on campus is I, I want to get every kid to start to come to church. So he starts to see the value of being a part of a local body. Good. And I'd say the other discipline is is is. If we do well at discipleship, then that student starts to learn one of the disciplines is being in relationship, if you're a man, with other men, women with other women. So you always have a man in your life or men in your life uh, speaking in your life, holding you accountable. Mm. You know, whether it's peers, whether if you're fortunate to have an older man in your life, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. I know for me, I'm 71. I always want a couple other men in my life who can see blind spots, who can speak into my life. Right. And so that's, that's a discipline and a value we want to instill in students. Great. I'd add one, one more I'd add, Stan, is, is the discipline of being on mission Mm. or whether we call that a spiritual discipline or whether we call that our purpose, maybe. But if I do a good job, if we do a good job as a movement, developing people's mindset that, Hey, we are on mission. And we want to be on mission the rest of our life. Hmm. And it's going to look different for every one of us. But uh, whether I'm a professor, I'm a doctor, I'm an architect, I'm on mission the rest of my life. 
And if we do well at that in college by training and equipping them in the mindset, how to think it's a way of life. It's not, Oh, I go do evangelism this day, Mm -hmm. you know, which can translate out of college. Well, my church does an outreach once a year right? where we go into the city and we give food. Well, that's good. (laughs) But that's not the mindset that we're looking for for a lifetime. It's like every day I'm on mission in relating to the people I'm around. Okay. So we want to instill that. Yeah. Give us one or two examples of students who were trained to be on mission and then graduated and were able to translate that into their their context after college. Because I think a lot of people struggle with what does that look like? Sure. Oh, gosh. I mean, I could talk about Dan, who went to Kenya, went through med school, went through his residency in orthopedic surgery. And uh, Dan felt led to, instead of starting his own orthopedic practice here, he went to Kenya with a medical missions ministry. And there he has been doing orthopedic surgery, but he's also training African nationals from all over the continent who come to him for orthopedic training. And he said, Hirsch, I want you to know I'm training them in evangelism and discipleship as well. What I learned on campus. So when they go back to their countries, they're not only doing orthopedics, but they're able to share the gospel with patients and disciple others. Uh, He would be one example. Uh, I think of a man named Rob Comfort, who uh, was an entrepreneurial businessman, very successful in business, now lives in Columbus, Ohio has taken what he learned about being on mission. And uh, he now has a company of 500 financial advisors who work under him, highly successful. But as he entered into the business world, what he started to internalize as a student really hit home as he sat, as he would say, as he was in his first year, sat in an office of 49 other workers and saw how lost they were without Christ. And it piqued his passion for I need to share the gospel with people. And so he was able to draw upon all that he learned in college. And ever since then, and he's been in the business world 30 years now, he is sharing his faith as a way of life continuously with other business executives that he's in connection with. And he would point back to what he learned in college and that equipped him with both the want to and the how to, sure. to continue to have a personal ministry. Yep. I remember Rob, he was from my, remember, my yeah. era. <laughs> yeah. I would say, I mentioned a guy named Jeff Kapersky, who's a philosophy professor at Saginaw Valley State. And uh, the Lord, he was one of our student leaders at the University of Dayton. And he has taken those convictions he's developed. And as a prof, uh, he's an advisor to the crew ministry on campus. But he has, he's thinking through, how do I, how do I teach philosophy in a way to stimulate people's thinking and then have discussions with those students who want to talk individually mm-hmm. afterwards in the student union. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's the kind of thing we want to do for students. That's really helpful. Let's drill down just a little more. So as students are trained to think about what ministry is and how to be involved in the world redemptively, whether it's the world of the university or the world of their business, or the world of, Kenya or wherever, how does crew understand that relationship between what some have called Christ and culture or the biblical truths and how I live them out, how I'm involved in culture in ways that have an influence for the kingdom? How does does crew teach that? 
Yeah, that's a good one, bro. <laughs> uh, I would say at this point, if, if you're asking where do we land on this, I think that's what you're asking. Yeah. I think we would say this, and maybe not all would agree with it, which is fine. We would say our calling from the beginning has been to equip people in evangelism and discipleship with a view toward as you change individual lives, then, of course, they influence the culture. And we would say that is our unique calling as opposed to identifying an area of culture in which uh, there needs to be transformation. And therefore, we throw ourselves into it. I give an example, uh, a former student who went on to law school and while there, his name Sean, was captured by the horrible evil of the slave trade, sex trafficking. He joined IJM, International Justice Mission. Mm -hmm. And they would say the way they're intersecting with culture is because they have a specific calling to deal with that issue of sin and brokenness um, and are involved in litigation, the whole bit. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, crew, we would say we want to see men and women raised up who are going to go into specific areas where they are engaging culture on specific issues. But we in crew would say our calling remains fundamentally wind build sin on campus so that we mobilize students to go into different areas of culture, less so that we on campus are making that our focus. Got it. Is that, it. Does that help clarify? Yes, somewhat? that's helpful. And it seems to me, and what you're saying confirms this to some degree, and again, for our listeners, there's a historical taxonomy of ways that Christians have thought about being in the world, but not of the world. And on one extreme is, is, is this view that's identified as Christ is culture, you know, whatever culture says we're in favor of, mm -hmm. uh, sort of the modern liberalist view. And yep. another end of the continuum uh, is, is, is a Christ against culture. You know, whatever culture is for, I'm against. Culture yeah. is a sinking ship, and we just need to get people saved on life rafts and not do anything about yep. the culture itself. Uh, and then a third one that tends to be in the middle is a Christ transforming culture model, which is more of a our, our, our role is to be in a culture in a way that redeems all things, not just the individual souls. So mm -hmm. there's some... Some yeah. similarity to both, but uh, but it, it has seemed to me that crew has historically been more the Christ against culture, and I'm hearing you say maybe that it's a little more of the Christ transforming culture in terms of preparing students to go out and, and be agents of transformation and in, in, in these ways in, in in light of their calling. Or am I am I overreading what you're saying? No, I think you you said it so much better than I did, nah. which is great because <laughs> you're more well you're more well read on this on this topic specifically. I would say yes uh, to the third, the alternative you presented. Uh, I think it is true that, well, like other fundamentalists in the 70s and 80s, right? Mm -hmm. I think when you say a lot of ways, the body of Christ was more in that paradigm of Christ against culture. Oh, the fundamentalist wing certainly was. Certainly was mm -hmm. at that time. And so I think we would have probably been more like that. I don't want to think we're as extreme as some examples I could think sure. of. Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know, but probably leaning more that way. Uh, or at least we were so valuing, again, along with that eschatology of if Christ is coming soon, right. get, get people to heaven. Therefore, don't worry. Don't engage in culture. Right. I think we might have been that way more. Now, I do think we have swung back, mm. swung toward that position you just stated. Got it. 
and meaningful involvement in culture, but yes. Well, and it's really helpful to tie that to the eschatology. And of course, the Christ is culture, modern liberalist view that developed in the early 20th century was wed to a post-millennial where the church is ushering in yes. the kingdom. We're not waiting for Christ to come back. We're going to make it happen by us making things better. And yeah. so it's just a helpful reminder that our theology is uh, is important and it informs how we live. Yes. Yes, right. So, for sure. Okay, Absolutely. good. Well, you mentioned something else I want to press into a little bit, and that is uh, you know, one of the most pressing issues that students are facing, and it relates to the activism side, Yes, is how to engage in, in these redemptive ways we're talking about in terms of, of, of the racial tensions, seeking uh, to love our brothers and sisters and, and, and the world as Christ loves the world across racial lines and all of those issues. And one response to this has been critical race theory, which you mentioned earlier. Uh, one of my goals is that students and parents are, 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 are informed so they know how issues like that will be engaged when they get involved in different campus ministries. And I know you don't speak officially for crew, but you've been on staff for five decades. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, I deeply respect your perspective and wisdom on issues related to how crusade or crew lives out convictions and sees things. So I'm aware that in some ways crew seems to be arguing we should embrace a critical race theory posture. There's a recent article in Christianity today that uh, talked about this, uh, and talked about certain ways in staff training and something called the Lenses Institute and others that yeah. uh, this has been promoted. I know that others are saying, no, that's not how we need to understand how we love others as Christ uh, loves them uh, across racial divides and are uh, arguing that's opposed to the, 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 the gospel. In fact, I just read that uh, a director of one of the, the military ministry left staff over this. Uh -huh. So what, what do you, what do you see? What's the current state of this debate in crew? Uh, and where do you think it's heading? Sure. Sure. Well, I think maybe to understand crew, our historical context would be good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and history, I mean, the last 10 years, oh, not, okay. In, okay. not the last hundred years, but got it. I think, you know, crew started of course with Bill Bright and it has been very white for decades, not not because it wants to be so white, but because uh, white people tend to reach white people. And in the last number of years, now we we realize this in all years we've existed, but in the last 10, 15 years, there's so much more awareness of, gosh, the way our culture is going geographically uh, in terms of population, that if we are not more intentional about reaching people of color, Latino American, Asian American, African American, you know, someday we're going to be kind of out of it in terms of on campuses where you have a much larger percentage of ethnic diversity. You follow me? Mm -hmm. So the effort has been in the last years to help our staff grow in their culture. The term is cultural competency. Do we better understand people of different cultures? Can we relate to them? Are we intentionally intending to, to seek to relate to people of color in different, mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. And so in the previous years of our staff trainings, the emphasis was to try to help our staff be more culturally competent, increase our desire. In doing so, speakers were sometimes put up on stage uh, that communicated things uh, really uh, beyond what our own ministry would embrace mm. in their passion to uh, cultivate this heart for understanding different cultures. 
And that's so it caused a stir. And the perception has been, well, have we let in any way critical race theory creep into uh, the mainstream of what we teach? So there's been quite a bit of discussion about that among staff. Our ministry, where we've come out of this, is our ministry has clearly said from our national leadership, we do not embrace critical race theory. In terms of the essence of the teaching of critical race theory, we do not embrace it. Um, that our desire to grow in our ethnicity, desire to have more people of color on our staff, we want to grow in our cultural competency, but we do not embrace CRT as the means by which to get there. That's, that's the, that's, that was the rub. And the appearance was by certain speakers who said different things at conferences. You know, the appearance was, well, are we embracing some of that ideology as a means to get there? And that was what the uproar was all about. Clearly, clearly we do not. Um, and yet, and yet as a staff, we, we do want to be aware of the, we want our staff to be aware of our history in this country, mm-hmm. of all the, where we've come from, of the, of the evil that was done, even uh, by those who claim to be Christians in terms of slavery and all the rest. Um, so that we do, we do understand what our people of color, where they come from. Right. And proactively enter in with them to be empathetic and understand. Mm-hmm. So does that make mm-hmm. sense? Sure. Yeah. Draw, draw out one more uh, distinction or lack of distinction that I hear made in different places. Uh, some would make the distinction between social justice and biblical justice in this conversation. Uh-huh. Is that a distinction that crew would make as well? Or as some others have said, no, that's a false dichotomy. They're really one and the same. Uh, let me think about how would I answer that one? Uh, like crew would make and maybe the crew as an entity wouldn't make it. So that's fine. Yeah, too. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I told you about this book for the readers and listeners confronting injustice without compromising the truth. Uh, just an excellent book written by Thaddeus Williams from Talbot. <laughs> ah, it's gotta be good. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I would think as crew, we would clearly embrace the differences between, uh, how social justice is communicated versus biblical justice. Uh, as crew, we would clearly identify with, no, it's not an issue of per se changing systems. Sin is, originates in the heart and then is manifested in systems. Uh, but we got to, you know, crew would say, no, we got to go out to the heart. Uh, now in doing so, that doesn't mean we don't address systemic things that are obviously apparent. But I, you know, as a ministry, we're not saying the answer is to change the systems. The answer is to change people. But in doing so, there will hopefully be some systems that will change, uh, if that makes sense. Got it. Yeah. So, Roger, as we draw to a close, let's pull back 30,000 foot level. Summarize for me why students should consider being a part of crew on campus. Realizing there, there, there's a lot of good groups to join, but sure. uh, make make your plug. Why sh- why should they really <laughs> look at crew seriously as they're showing up on campus? <laughs> yes, there you go, bro. Make my plug. Yeah, <laughs> open mic. Well, there are you know 50 years in campus ministry. I've been able to be delightfully a part of ministry with InterVarsity, with Navigators at Miami. We prayed regularly once a week. The IV NAV staff member and I, with our the pastor of one of the main churches, mm-hmm. so we had a fabulous, I feel like, unity and commitment mm-hmm. to each other and realization that we each offered unique things. I, I 
you know, crew, we always have said we are one part of a vast body of Christ that if we're going to reach the campus, it's going to be done by the whole body of Christ. We're just one part. Now, the plug, (laughs) I think our part that is especially our strength is for students to get involved in in community with us. And I'll say it that way, to get in community with us, you are becoming part of not just a community, but a movement. And to become part of crew is to say, I want to become a part of a movement where there will be training and equipping in evangelism and discipleship in the spirit-filled life, in my walk with Christ, so that the rest of my life, I will feel equipped for walking with Christ and communicating my faith, multiplying my faith, whatever my vocation is. And so that to get involved with us is to say, I want that equipping, I want that training. It's to say, I want more than just fellowship and, and a Bible study, which every ministry does. But I want the, the training and equipping and the opportunity to be involved in missions. So to get involved with crew, uh, fellowship, Bible study, worship, all that, but equipping and training and missions over spring break, over winter conference, to get involved with the crew, you have so many opportunities, whether for a summer or for a year after college, you can spend a year in missions with crew just to get a feel for whether is this something I'd want to do long term or is it a good one year experience and then launches me into another way of serving Christ. Mm. Uh, those are the kind of opportunities I think we bring in crew because that's what we are distinctively committed to. Got it. That's a really helpful summary. Appreciate that. Is there there anything else you want to make sure we touch on as we wrap up? I think one of the challenges any campus ministry has is the commitment to, when we talk about the Great Commission, quantity and quality. Mm. Because the Great Commission is stated by our Lord in both ways. You know, Matthew 28, it's make disciples, build men and women. In Mark 16, it's going to the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Mm, Okay. And so... Uh, and that's why we didn't get into this, but that's why crew has things like Jesus film mm-hmm. uh, in addition to campus ministry, because it's a commitment to broad sowing to get the gospel out broadly to billions of people. In addition to building local movements in local places. Uh, so, but even on our local campus, one of our distinctives is going to be, and there's always the tension with this is when we're on campus, how can we think about what do we do to give to offer the gospel to everybody on campus? while at the same time building quality and depth into individuals' lives. So the Great Commission, quantity and quality. And that's one of the things we think about a lot in crew is that, is that we, uh, we're not going to start a ministry on campus with a view toward, well, if we get 50 or 100 students gathered together, we're now happy, and we're going to have glorious fellowship for the next several years. We're not going to be content with that. We're going to be saying, how does this 50 or 100 people become 150 and 200 and 300? And and how do we make sure we're offering the gospel to every ethnic group on campus, that we won't be content to just be a group of happy white Christians here? How do we give the gospel and offer the gospel and disciple people of all different uh, ethnicities? And some of that involves contextualized ministries, which are very important, contextualized Greek ministry, contextualized Asian ministry, so forth. So there's that balance of quantity and quality, which we really embrace, but it does create a tension sure. as we develop our ministries on campus. So that's just one final thought. Okay. Very helpful. Anything else at all? 
No, I think that's it. I think everybody ought to keep listening to Stan's podcast. That's what needs you to say. Because <laughs> they're so rich and there they're so go. good. He and JP, man, have so much good stuff that stimulates my thinking. I listen to them. So you all should too. Thanks for an endorsement of the go, Thinking bro. Christianly podcast too. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet, bro. Well, hey, where can listeners go to learn more about Crew? Well, the obvious is crew.org. Okay. It's our website, which would have all things crew. And on there, you can go to links to all the different kinds of ministries, uh, campus, every one of them, because there are many, many beside campus. So, okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, Roger, this has been so helpful. Thanks for your time and your many years of service to the kingdom in this context and the many lives of students you have touched and changed, including mine. So I appreciate, uh, appreciate and love you, brother. I love you too, Stan. I'm so glad to be a part of this with you. And I'm thrilled to see your ministry continuing to grow and just thinking of all those professors, which is what are we up to now, bro? A hundred and how many that are overseas? Uh, well, we've changed our, our focus to equipping indigenous scholars. So we're at any time equipping 300 and some that uh, really God's already raised up and placed in their own countries and just need yep. to be equipped, network together. Uh, as Great. Ephesians 4.12 says, equip, equip for the work of the ministry. Yeah. Well, it's thrilled. I love reading your updates on the internet about what's happening, the stories of different professors. I love it. Great stuff. Appreciate it. Okay, bro. Good to be with you. That brings us to the end of this edition of the College Faith Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation at the intersection of Christian conviction and higher education. Be sure to check out today's show notes at collegefaith.net slash podcasts, where you can find more information and links to the resources we discussed. If you found this podcast helpful, please help spread the word by liking my College Faith Facebook page at facebook.com slash college faith and pass the show on to others who may enjoy hearing our conversation. Please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars, to help equip Christian professors to be salt and light for Christ on their campuses. Until next time, this is Stan Wallace encouraging you to love the Lord your God with both heart and mind during the university years and beyond.